always nice to be here with you all. Well, it's wonderful that we can worship our God together weekend after weekend, isn't it? I think we're here to um, be encouraged through the Word, but also from one another as we sing, as we affirm the things that we believe about our God and that Christ has come to save us. Well, um, there are many things we can do to prepare our hearts for worship, but today what I'd like to encourage us to do is to just use the first song as our way of um, preparing our hearts as we enter into God's presence in worship. We're going to be pondering on the faithfulness of God as we sing, and this is a a familiar one, so please join us. You can stand now and join us as we sing.
indeed our faithful God. You have been faithful from the beginning of time. Faithful in love, faithful in provision, faithful in showing your mercy even though we don't deserve it. All we have needed, you have indeed provided. As we think about this past week, we know you have provided everything we have needed. Materially, or even just your presence. But Lord, our greatest need is salvation from our sin. And even that you have provided for us. Your salvation is so wonderful, Lord. Please help us see you in your glory as we ponder these things today.
come now to a time of the Lord's Supper and uh, each month I receive a statement from the bank and we've got a slide here a credit card statement that tells me an itemized list of the debt that I'm in I'm sure you a number of you receive the same thing in fact I get two statements because we've got two credit cards I don't know the wisdom behind that but we have two credit cards and so it's a double whammy. I've got a statement of the debt that I'm in. Uh, I look through the statement. Some of the things I remember buying. Many of them I don't remember buying. Uh, some just come out automatically. And I look at the statement and, and I see the hole that I'm in. also get to see for the first time how much my wife has spent on the credit card for that month. I, I think, how can anyone spend that much in a month? No, that's not true. But I see the hole that we're in at the end of the month. Now imagine if we received a statement from God every month and it outlined the debt that we were in to Him. Imagine if we actually had an itemized statement of all the wrongdoings that we had done in the last month. What would yours look like? Mine would be long. I would see the hole that I'm in. The debt that I owe God. But the good news, the good news of Christianity is that Christ came and he wiped our debt away. Amen. He tore up that statement of debt. I don't know, I don't owe God anything because of Jesus Christ. He has paid the debt once and for all. There is no hole that I'm in. And God didn't just wipe our debt away and bring us back to zero, He filled our account with righteousness. He didn't just bring us back to zero, we now stand righteous before God. Psalm 103 verse 12 says, As far as the east is from the west, so far has He removed our transgressions from us. How far is the east from the west? as far as can be. That is what we remember this evening as we take the Lord's Supper. Your statement of debt has been ripped up because of the Lord Jesus. If you put your trust in Him, Amen. I'll ask the helpers to come. Down the front, we're going to, together as a church, take of the bread and drink of the cup. This is for those of us who have put our faith in Christ. If that's you, Come and take. If you haven't yet put your faith in Christ, I encourage you, I implore you to do that this evening. Have your debts cancelled. Be made right with God. Call on the name of the Lord and you will be saved. I'll ask the front rows to please stand. Come and take of the bread and the cup.
hold on to them and then we'll take them together in a few moments. song we sang was so beautiful I just wanted to put my arms in the air and just thank God for his mercy our sins are many but his mercy is more thank you Jesus let's take the bread Jesus death on the cross has cancelled our statement of debt. Let us drink and be thankful. Thank you, Jesus. Please stand and let's sing another song together.
confess once again, Jesus, you are our Lord. May you be glorified in our worship today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please say hello to someone sitting around you before you have a seat. Good evening, church. My name is Catherine Smith, and we're blessed here at Subi to have many options and opportunities to study God's Word in community. And I'd like to tell you about BSF Bible Study Fellowship, as it's often referred to as BSF. BSF is a global, in-depth study, and it exists to magnify God and mature his people. Our prayer is that by studying God's word in community, the result is a passionate commitment to Christ, his word, and his church. BSF wants to make Jesus known so that he is the one that is loved and worshipped. And I'm able to speak here tonight because over 20 years ago, Pastor Graham Johnson welcomed a group of BSF women to meet here every Wednesday morning during term to study God's word. And so we're beginning uh, the study in the Gospel of John starting on the Wednesday the 16th of August at 10am and I extend an invitation to women and children to come and see what we're about. Our class runs a children's program as well so mums and grandmas can bring their little ones along to learn about Jesus at the same time they are. The BSF's approach is distinct in that it is free and it gives members every week during term time an opportunity to study God's word in layers. People discover their true identity and their true purpose by knowing God through his word. And in the book of John, Jesus boldly proclaims himself as the only source of freedom, peace, truth, meaning, sustenance, security and everlasting life. So in our study of John's gospel, we'll be examining these claims of Jesus. So ladies, if you're looking for a Bible study during the day and want to go deeper and learn more about who Jesus is and what life looks like if you believe and what life looks like if you don't believe, I invite you to join us to study the Gospel of John starting on Wednesday, August the 16th. And for more information, you can head to the website of joinbsf.org. Thank you. Good evening. It's time for Scripture as Subi. So if you are, wow, the light is really bright. Sorry, I can't even see you. Um, so we are, this month we're actually doing James chapter 1, verse 17. So if you do have your card with you or the kids who can help you, we can all start to recite together. So let's start with the chapter and the verse first. So this is James chapter seven, 1, verse 17. Every good and perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Well done. Children, you are now allowed to go up to your classes. My name is Sean, and I'm one of the elders of this church, of Subi Church. Welcome. And if you're new today, you're fine, because everyone have a name tag today. So you will be able to read the name of the person next to you um, or in front of you later on. Now, just please keep the stomach growling down. I know that you can smell the sausages and the sushi is outside too, waiting for us after the service. So if you do come here new and you'll see on your seat, you do have a Connect card. The Connect card is actually used for communicating to us. If you're new, just write down your details so that we can actually contact you during the week. We want to make 
show that you are not just living here without any communication at all. And if you are existing members of the church, and please do fill that up too, so we know that you are okay, and if you do have any praise points or anything that you want to ask to pray for you, please write it down so we can actually pray for you. The prayer will go to the staff, the elders and the deacons, and also the prayer ministry team too. It's time that we come to offering. And as you know that we don't practice physical offerings anymore. Many of you, and thank you for that, you have actually subscribed to an online payment. So you can actually make the offering every week and that's automatically deducted from your bank account. If you do want to know a bit more about that, there is a yellow, a green color form at the back. Uh, just pick it up on your left-hand side as you exit. And if you do choose to still want to make an offering physically, also there is a box just on the left-hand side that you can actually put your offerings into it. Let us pray for that now. Father Lord, we thank you indeed that your provision for us is always enough. Every day that we wake to every day that we sleep, we know that everything that is given to us is from you. And we thank you indeed, oh Lord. Lord, we ask that you continue to allow us to serve you by means of giving you this little um, offering that you can use for the extension of your kingdom's work. We want to see this money being used wisely for the extension of your kingdom. Father, we thank you indeed and we pray all this in your son's Jesus' name. Amen. Just a few announcements very quickly. Um, we do have a fellowship meal later on, as I say, Matt, earlier. After the service today, please don't just shoot out the door. Uh, I know that a few families do that and a few people do that. Stay back tonight. Um, have a few sausages with us or some sushi and a drink. Um, there will be a lot of people serving you around. So make sure that you can stay back and have a chat with some of the people that you don't know. Um, we will be at the outside, as I say. And if you're fairly new to Subi Church, we'd like to meet you. And also, you can get to know us, the elders, the staff, and the ministry team. We'll be probably standing just on the back here. So just come and follow that back area there. There's a lot of blue color bags that you can actually take one if you're new in this church. Come and see us. We would love to have a chat with you too. We also have a men's ministry breakfast coming up on the 19th of August on 8 a.m. on Saturday at the church cafe. Understand what it means to be a male has never been more confusing. Men are called out for the practical, for being um, patriarchal and toxic, but we are hard pressed to find anyone presenting a definition of healthy masculinity. We call all the men of Subi Church to a men's breakfast with L. Stewart. If you do not know who L. Stewart is, he's one of the authors of the book called The Menu, who will be speaking at the Getting Masculinity Right. Don't miss the opportunity. The cost is only $10 for a breakfast and also listen to L. Stewart. Please RSVP on the Connect card if you can, or there's a QR code in front of you. You can just scan it and then just put your details in there. It's time for the congregation prayer. We do this every week as a church, so if we can prepare our hearts to hear the God's word, and please let me lead you in the prayer. Let's bow. Heavenly Father, you are the God who does not change like shifting shadow. You are the same yesterday, today, and forever. How great your faithfulness in, is to your people throughout the whole of history. And what you have brought salvation to us so that we did not have to earn this ourselves. 
We thank you for the salvation we have promised to us through the prophet and fulfilled completely in Christ Jesus. How great your mercy is to us, Lord. We praise you for the joy and the blessing we have in knowing you and that we can look forward with hope to a glorious future with you. Lord, we have sinned and not lived we should according to the way that we have in Christ. We have put others before you and make idols in our hearts. We have not loved or honored you as we should. And yet you work patiently in us through your spirit. We pray that we would be willing and submit to the spirit work in us. Please transform and refine us to be more like you, your son. Grow our faith and love for you, that we would walk closely with you. Lord, we pray for those of us who are in the midst of difficult times, those who are experiencing the pain of strained relationships, loss of loved ones, health issues, financial hardship. We grieve the brokenness of this world, Father. You are never far from us. You understand our suffering and know every heartbreak we face. We pray for the arm of comfort would be close and that your loving presence would be with our brothers and sisters, especially during this time. Please show them your goodness and your faithfulness every day. In our weakness, you are our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Help us to look in the hope to you, Lord, and trust in you and your promises. Father, please be with Pastor Chin as he brings us your word from Romans 11 today. May your spirit guide him as he preaches. Please give us years that we are ready to listen. We pray that our hearts and minds will be transformed by the power of your gospel. We pray all these things in Jesus' most precious name. To you be the glory forever. Amen. Good evening, everyone. Um, this week's Bible reading is taken from Romans 11, verse 1 to 10. So if you are able, I invite you to stand with me as we read from God's Word. So verse 1. I ask then, did God reject his people? By no means. I am an Israelite myself, a descendant of Abraham, from the tribe of Benjamin. God did not reject his people, whom he foreknew. Don't you know what scripture says in the passage about Elijah? How he appealed to God against Israel. Lord, they have killed your prophets and torn down your altars. I am the only one left, and they are trying to kill me. And what was God's answer to him? I have reserved for myself 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. And if by grace, then it cannot be based on works. If it were, grace would no longer be grace. What then? What did the people of Israel sought so earnestly they did not obtain? The elect among them did... But the others were hardened, as it is written. God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that could not see and ears that could not hear, to this very day. And David says, May their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. May their eyes be darkened so they cannot see, and their backs be bent forever. You may now take a seat. Well, good evening, everybody. Good to see you, good to be with you. As we dive deep into Romans, we are in Romans chapter 11, as you can see. Um, 
time flies very quickly. Now suddenly we are in Romans chapter 11. It is always a pleasure, always a pleasure to bring God's word to you all. And I'm always thankful that God has given me this opportunity to do that. We will jump right into the sermon. Let me start with this. Let me show you this painting. Can you tell what this painting is about? Right, this painting is the first stage of an artist painting on his canvas. And as someone who's looking at this painting, at this point anyways, it's hard to make out what this painting is about, what the final picture is going to be. Now for the artist, that person, that artist, he or she, they would know what that painting looks like in their minds. They have planned that. And the act of painting is just that artist making that picture, putting that picture in their mind, a reality on the canvas. But for us, looking out, looking to this painting, at the first stage of this painting, it's a little bit hard to tell what this painting is. How about if we add in the next layer and give it a little bit more detail? Right, that's the next step of this painting. Can you tell what this painting is all about at this point? You begin to see a little bit of what this painting looks like, what the final paint, uh, picture is going to be like. And as the artist paints more and more, we get more and more hints. We get a better idea of what the final picture is like in the artist's mind. Right, so this vision that the artist has in his or her mind becomes a reality on the canvas as they paint. We come to Romans 11. What we will see is that God is the grand artist of history, of all of history. And this world is his canvas. He's painting a story of salvation in this world. And we see and we read this story in the scriptures and we are a part of that painting. But that painting is not complete just yet. It will only be complete at the end of history when there's the new creation, new heavens and a new earth. It is then that we see the final painting. But because of the work of Christ, because of the gospel, because of what God has revealed to us through the scriptures, we have a very clear idea of who the main focus, main object of this painting is going to be. It is God himself through Christ by the Spirit. And in Romans chapter 9 to 11, what Paul is trying to do is to answer the question of where the Israelites are within this painting of salvation, in God's plan of salvation. What place do they have? Especially at this stage of salvation history. Right? You see, you have Paul, he will look around them, or believing Jews, he will look around them, and then what they will see is that a large population of the Jews, they are not Christians. They don't profess Jesus as a Lord and Savior, even though God sent Christ to save them. The Jews, they rejected Christ. What does that mean? Does that mean God has rejected them? Has failed in His promises? That's what Paul is trying to answer. What is the place of the Jews? What is the place of the Israelites in God's plan of salvation? And he tries to answer that in Romans 9 to 11. So Romans 9 is him telling and saying, no, God is ultimately sovereign in salvation. He has mercy on whom He wants to have mercy. He hardens whom He wants to harden. It's not up to us, it is up to God and God alone. And not all who are fr from ethnically Israel, not all of them are Israel, because it's all about those who have faith in Christ, in the promises of God. Romans 10 is him talking about the gospel message, this 
gospel that's been preached, that's been sent out, received by the Israelites, but they don't accept it. The Israelites have heard this gospel, but they don't accept it. They did not put their faith in Christ. Romans 11 then concludes his argument about where the Israelites are in God's plan of salvation. If God is sovereign in salvation, if the Israelites are not putting their faith in Jesus, well, has God rejected them? That's the logical next question, isn't it? Has God rejected the Israelites? And that's exactly the question we see in the first verse of our Bible reading. I'm going to read the rest of Romans chapter 11. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Romans chapter 11. It will be more helpful if you have your physical Bibles as well. But if you don't, we will have the passage on the screen behind me. And because I'm preaching on this text, let me invite you to stand once more. And I'll read the rest of Romans chapter 11, from verse 11 onwards. Romans chapter 11, verse 11 to 32. Again I ask, did they stumble so as to fall beyond recovery? Not at all. Rather, because of their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel envious. But if their transgression means riches for the world and their loss means riches for the Gentiles, how much greater riches will their full inclusion bring? I'm talking to you Gentiles. And as much as I'm the apostle to the Gentiles, I take pride in my ministry in the hope that I may somehow arouse my own people to envy and save some of them. For if their rejection brought reconciliation to the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? If the part of the dough offered as first fruit is holy, then the whole batch is holy. If the root is holy, so are the branches. If some of the branches has been broken off, and you, though a wild olive shoot, have been grafted in among the others, and now share in a nourishing sap from the olive root, do not consider yourself to be superior to the other to those other branches. If you do consider this, you do not support the root, but the root supports you. If you will say then, branches were broken off so that I could be grafted in, granted. But they were broken off because of unbelief, and you stand by faith. Do not be arrogant, but tremble. For if God did not spare the natural branches, He will not spare you either. Consider therefore the kindness and sternness of God, sternness to those who fell, but kindness to you, provided that you continue in His kindness. Otherwise, you will also be cut off. And if they do not perceive in unbelief, they will be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. After all, if you were cut out of an olive tree that is wild by nature, and contrary to nature were grafted into a cultivated olive tree, how much more readily will these, the natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers and sisters, so that you may not be conceited. Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will turn godlessness away from Jacob. This is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. As far as the gospel is concerned, they are enemies for your sake. But as far as election is concerned, they are loved on account of the patriarchs. For God's gifts and His call are irrecoverable. Just as you who were at one time disobedient to God have now received mercy as a result of their disobedience, 
So they too have now become disobedient in order that they may now receive mercy as a result of God's mercy to you. For God has bound everyone over to disobedience so that he may have mercy on them all. You may be seated. Lots to unpack that long passage as you can see. And I won't be able to go to all the details. I know some of you are very interested in, oh, this is a great hotly debated passage. I'm not going to go into all of them, unfortunately. We don't have time for that. But we will look at the main ideas, the main points that Paul will be making from Romans chapter 11. The first point is this, from verses 1 to 10. Chosen by God's grace. Chosen by God's grace, verses 1 to 10. So he asks, did God reject his people? By no means, of course not. How does he know that? How does he know God has not rejected his people? Well, he looks at himself. He is a follower of Christ. He is a descendant of Abraham from the tribe of Benjamin. He is a Jew, an Israelite. And here he is, he is a follower and apostle of Jesus. No, God has not rejected his people. Paul is a chief example of that. And if you think about Paul's life and his past, of all the Israelites God should have rejected, it should be Paul. Well, he hunted Christians. He hated them. He put them in prison. He murdered Christians, those who follow Christ. Of all the people God should have rejected, should have rejected, it's Paul. But yet, no, 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 God saved Paul of all the Jews. Has God rejected his people? From the way things appear during Paul's time, it does appear in that way that God has rejected the Israelites. Many of them, they don't accept Christ. But God has not rejected his people. And he brings up the story of Elijah with his battle at Mount Carmel against the prophets of Baal. You remember the story, right? You have Elijah, a prophet of Yahweh. He comes and battles against the prophets of Baal in 1 Kings 18. And he wins a decisive victory. In fact, he humiliates the prophets and their God. But he had to run for his life after that. Queen Jezebel wants him dead. And think about from Elijah's perspective. He has just seen God perform miracles being powerful over the other gods, in some sense humiliating all the other gods. He knows how great and how powerful God is. But now he is running for his life. And he says to God, I've been zealous for you, God. But your own people, the Israelites, they have rejected your covenants, rejected your promises. It seems like I'm the only one who's left, who's following you. Sounds a bit similar to Paul's situation. Yahweh responds, and I'll paraphrase that. Yes, from all earthly and from your perspective, it may seem like all hope is lost, that there's no one else left. But I have reserved 7,000 for myself who have not worshipped Baal. You are not alone. There is still a remnant left who worships Yahweh. It's the same in Paul's day. Many Jews, yes, they did not accept Christ as the Lord and Savior. That is true. It feels like God has rejected them and Paul is the only one. But that is not true. There is a remnant that is left who are faithful to God, chosen by grace. 
all hope is not lost because all hope is in God, not in us. And those who are saved, Jews or Gentiles alike, are chosen by grace, God's grace. It cannot be based on works. Otherwise, grace will not be grace. Paul was chosen by God's grace. We who have faith in Christ are chosen by God's grace. The Jews who have faith in Christ are chosen by God's grace. God has not rejected them. There is a remnant chosen by God's grace. Many Jews, they sought salvation, but they did not obtain it because they had no faith in Christ. But the elect among them, they did have faith in Christ. And this is one of the things that we always have to remember, that we are saved by grace and grace alone. This is a truth that we need to have it sink deep in our hearts, let that take root in our hearts. We are chosen and saved by grace alone, not by works. I know we say this all the time in church. Sometimes we become inoculated to that. But we must not be inoculated to that. We must always remember that we are saved by grace and grace alone. And this gives us hope that no matter what our past is, we can still turn to Christ and be saved. We can still turn to Christ and be saved. Some of us, some of you may be thinking, I can't be saved. I shouldn't be saved based on what I've done in my past. God can't save me. God shouldn't save me. No. We are chosen and saved by God's grace alone. And this is also very important, particularly when we are thinking about our loved ones who are not yet Christians. Right? At the start of Romans 9, Paul is in anguish because his fellow people, the Israelites, they are not following Christ. And I know many people here at Subi, they are in anguish. You are in anguish because your family member or your loved ones, they don't follow Christ. And humanly speaking, you cannot see how they can come to know Christ. For Paul, it's humanly impossible to see how could someone like Paul, in his past life, could have followed Jesus. But yet in God's grace, God's mercy, he was saved. And so it is not impossible for God to save your family or save your loved ones, no matter how impossible it may seem to us. I'm, I'm the only one in my family who's a Christian. Realistically, I don't know how my parents or my brothers will come to know God. I, I don't live in the same country they are, they are in. I've tried to do what I can to share the gospel with them, but you know, they're, they're not interested in that. And, and so what else can I do? What, what, what do I do in that case? Well, you pray. You pray to the God of all grace and you trust that he will do what is right. Because we are chosen by God's grace, not by our works. And we trust God that he is in control. He is the one sovereign in all salvation over everyone. Now again, that's not to say that we don't do anything. There is nothing left for us to do. We still have Romans chapter 10, where we preach, we promote the gospel by our lives, by our speech, by the way we carry ourselves. But at the end of the day, the result ultimately is up to God because we're all chosen by God's grace. And it's the same for Paul. He has to understand and remember that they, there is a remnant chosen by God's grace. 
Let's go to point number two. Grafted in by God's kindness. That's on verses 11 to 24. Grafted in by God's kindness. He poses another question, verse 11. Did they, the Jews, did they stumble so as to fall beyond recovery? Are the Jews who do not accept Jesus, are they completely hopeless then? That there's like no way for them to be saved? Well, of, of, of course not. And this is where Paul begins to paint, paint a picture of God's plan of salvation. Right? The rejection of these Jews of the gospel of Jesus, because of their rejection, the gospel has gone to the Gentiles. Look at verse 11. Rather, because of their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel envious. It's a pretty remarkable point that he's making. Right? Because of the rejection of Christ from the Jews, the gospel goes to the Gentiles. And the Gentiles who have believed in Christ, they instead have received all the promised blessings of the gospel. So all of us here, Gentiles, who have put our faith in Christ, we receive all the blessings that God has promised. Blessings that the Jews originally thought is theirs. And that's why the, the Israelites, they can be envious. Because as people who have faith in Christ, we have peace with God. We have a relationship with God. We can call God our Heavenly Father. We are His people, His covenant people. These are all blessings that Israel longed for with Yahweh, with God. And we are the ones who receive it for those of us who have faith in Christ. How is it that the Gentiles receive all these blessings that are supposed to be theirs? Of course, they'll be envious. The Jews are envious. But if their rejection has brought about blessings to the Gentiles, imagine how much more a blessing it will be when they accept Christ. And that's one of the goals of Paul's missionary effort, to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. One of his goals is that he hopes to somehow arouse his own people to envy, to make them desire the gospel. Not the only goal, one of his goals. His heart is always for the gospel, for his people. Look at verse 13. I'm talking to you Gentiles. Inasmuch as I am the apostle to the Gentiles, I take my pride in my ministry. Look at this. In the hope that I may somehow arouse my own people to envy and save some of them. His heart is always for more people to trust in Christ. To trust in the gospel. That is what he's working towards all, his, all the time in his life. And then as he says that, he turns around to, to Gentiles, to us. And he calls us, don't be arrogant of these blessings you received. Don't be arrogant. And he uses the analogy of an olive tree and its roots and the branches to describe the place of the Jews and the place of the Gentiles in God's plan of salvation. Right? This olive tree represents the covenant people of God. And the natural branches of this tree represent the ethnic Israelites who are recipients of God's promises and blessings in the Old Testament. But as we read on, we see that some of these branches have been broken off this olive tree. Right? These Israelites who have experienced the blessing of this covenant, they were broken off this tree because of their unbelief. And Gentiles, on the other hand, and he describes Gentiles as wild olive shoots, not part of the original tree, they have been grafted into this tree by God's kindness. And once we've 
been grafted into this tree, we now share in the same nourishing sap of the olive fruit. We share in the blessing of being the covenant people of God. The same promises, the same blessings that God promised in the Old Testament. Paul makes the same point in all, many of his other letters. For example, in Ephesians chapter 2, he uses a very different language to talk about the same thing. Let me read from Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19 to 22. Listen to what he says. Consequently, you're no longer foreigners and strangers. Talking about Gentiles, no longer strangers and foreigners. Why are we now? Notice this. But fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. We are now fellow citizens with God's people. He uses that language in Ephesians, and in Romans 11, he uses the language of a wild olive shoot, a wild olive shoot that has been grafted into this olive tree. And as Gentiles then, we should not consider ourselves superior to the other branches, that is to the Jews, as though we deserve all these blessings that we receive. Let's not be arrogant of our place in salvation history. And we feel superior to the Jews while they don't worship Christ. These Jews, they were broken off because of their unbelief. If God did not spare them, even though they were in the natural branches, don't think that God would spare you for your unbelief. And so what we need to do, what we need to do is consider God's kindness to us. God was kind to graft us into the olive tree merciful to graft us into the olive tree, to kind enough to make us citizens of God's people, fellow citizens with God's people. And so we need to be humble about our salvation. We don't be arrogant about it. We are chosen by God's grace. Remember our first point. We have nothing to brag about. We cannot say, especially to the Jews as well, Look at us. We understand the scriptures better than they are because we, we are all Jesus. They don't know Jesus. We are so smart. They are not. No, no. We, we cannot say that. Our response to our salvation and all the blessings that we have should be one of overwhelming gratitude. Gratitude to God for uniting us to Jesus. And through that, becoming a part of God's people. And notice what Paul calls us to do. It's not immediately to do good works. Verse 22, let me read that again. Consider therefore the kindness and sternness of God, sternness to those who fell, but kindness to you, provided you continue in His kindness. That is, we continue in the kindness of God, continue clinging to Christ, clinging to the gospel message of Christ. And so we go back to the question that Paul posed. Did the Jews stumble to the point of no return? No, of course not. Yes, they are cut off from the olive tree because of their unbelief, even though they are original branches. But if they don't perceive, uh, persist in their unbelief and they come to Christ, God will graft, it, graft them in again. After all, even as Gentiles, if we, a wild olive tree, we can be grafted into the tree because of God's kindness, how much more God will do the same for them? Let's go to our last point. Saved according to God's plan. Saved according to God's 
plan. Verses, 22, verses 25 to 32. This is the part where we have another layer of God's plan of salvation. A much fuller picture of, of this canvas of this world about God's plan of redemption. Paul does this in other writings. Here in Romans, he particularly focuses on the place of the Israelites. And so he says we must not be ignorant about this mystery of God's plan of salvation. And sometimes in Paul's other writings, when he talks about this mystery, he's referring to the fact that through the gospel, Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of the one body, sharers together of the promises in Christ. We just read about that. That's the mystery he's been talking about. That's one angle that he focuses on in other writings. And this mystery has been revealed to us through the gospel. But in Romans 11, he approaches from another angle. He focuses on the Israelites. So yes, Gentiles, we are asked together with Israel. But we are asked together is because, well, the Israelites, they rejected. Historically speaking, at this point of salvation history, they, have they are experiencing a hardening in part until the full Gentiles have come in. That is, at this point of salvation history, the Jews, as a people, they have not embraced Christ as their Lord and Savior. They are experiencing a hard, partial hardening. But it won't be forever. Notice what he's implying. That once the full number of Gentiles has come in, has been saved, Israel's hardening will be over. And what we will see is more and more Jews turning to Christ. And in that way, all Israel will be saved. And then the end of history will come. And so to very quickly, just to paint a picture, this is the history that Paul paints for us is this. So in the course of salvation history, God sends his Messiah, Jesus, to come and save his people. That's what we see happening. But as the Messiah comes, as Jesus comes, the Jews, as a people, what happened? They rejected the Messiah and rebelled against him. They did not receive him as Messiah. Because of this rejection, the gospel is being taken to the Gentiles, and the Gentiles, they respond, and they acknowledge Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior. And they come and experience the blessings of salvation that was meant, that was brought up from all the way from the Old Testament as part of the covenant people of God. As some Jews sees this, this arouses some envy amongst the Jews, and some do end up following Christ, like Paul. And when the full number of Gentiles has come in, this partial hardening will end, and we will begin to see more and more Jews coming to know Christ. Notice he's focusing on the place of the Israelites in salvation history. Let me read verse 30 to 32, and notice the pattern once again. Just as you, Gentiles, who were at one time disobedient to God, have now received mercy as a result of their, the Jews' disobedience, they have now become disobedient in order that they too may now receive mercy in Christ as a result of God's mercy to you. For God has bound everyone over to disobedience so that he may have mercy on them all. And that's Paul's point in the last sentence. God has bound everyone over to disobedience, everyone, Jews and Gentiles alike. We are all sinful. There's no denying that fact. 
so that God may have mercy on them all through faith in Christ. And so, at the end of the day, the main question, the question that we should be asking, no matter if you are a Jew or a Gentile, the question is, what is your response to Christ? Who is Christ to you? And I know this passage is one that's been endlessly debated about the meaning of what all Israel will be saved. But that's not the main point. The main point is, who is Christ to you? How are you going to respond to Christ? Remember the painting I showed you right at the start. It's hard to tell what it is all about in the first few steps. But as the artist keeps painting, we begin to see an outline of what the artists have in mind. And as the artists progress along, we get a clearer and clearer picture of this vision from the mind of the artist. Because that picture, that vision, slowly becomes a reality on the canvas. So with each brush stroke, with each layer, the painting receives more and more details. And we begin to see the vision of the artist take shape on that canvas. And when that happens, what happens is that we begin to appreciate each brush stroke more and more. Because we realize that each brush stroke is intentional and not accidental. Now, we may not understand and see what the artist was doing right from the beginning. But once we see the, the painting taking shape, we know that what this artist has been doing all, the, all this while, it is not an accident. He or she was in complete control. And once the painting is complete, we can appreciate and marvel at the creativity of this artist and this masterpiece, so to speak. And so when we come to Romans 9 to 11, God has a plan of history, plan of salvation history that involves the Jews. Everything that has happened is not accidental. It is part of God's sovereign plan. We may not understand. We may not see why at the beginning. Through the gospel, we see a great outline of what the painting on the canvas is all about. It is about bringing glory to God and glory to Christ. God is the grand artist of history. This world is his canvas. He's painting a glorious picture of who Christ is. Why? So that we can marvel at God's creativity. We can marvel at God's wisdom shown to us by Christ, by the power of the Spirit. And so, yes, God planned, God achieved salvation history for His glory. And out of His great mercy, we are all part of that painting. We are all part of that great display of God's glory through Christ. All of us here, this church, as God's people, we are displaying the glory of God. And in other words, all things are from God because He planned and achieved salvation. Through God, He's the one who does all things for God, for His glory. And guess where Paul ends up? And that's exactly what Paul says at the end of Romans chapter 11. I'm going to read the last bit as the way to finish the sermon. Let me invite you to stand, and then we'll go straight to 
our worship response. Romans chapter 11, verse 33 to 36. Listen to Paul's praise of God. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable is His judgment, His past beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been His counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from Him and through Him and for Him are all things. To Him be the glory forever.
we do have a fellowship meal immediately after this, so please stay. And let me give you an encouragement and also, you know, in some sense, challenge you. Go and meet somebody you haven't met before. And in case you don't know how to make friends, let me give you a tip. You can just go and say, Hi, my name is something. Nice to meet you. What is your name? Very simple, but let me encourage you to do that because we are here. We, we are the family of God. We want to get to know each other and fellowship and make friends, really. And for those of you who are here and you haven't connected with or haven't met any of the leadership team, please go to the connect point uh, at the back of the auditorium. We will be there. We'll be more than happy to meet with you and connect you to the church as well. And if you are here, you do need prayer, please feel free to come to the front. Uh, we will be more than happy to pray with them for you. Let me end with a benediction from Paul's doxology in chapter 11. For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen.